Hey guys, welcome to Money and Investing with me, Andrew Baxter. And in this week's broadcast, very exciting, we're talking about getting yourself set up financially in your 20s and 30s. What steps can you take right now to ensure that you get the quality of life, the dream life that you truly deserve, that you desire? And that all starts with a process and a plan. We'll look at budgeting, we'll look at saving, another which is very exciting, how to get into the property market. More importantly, as we get a little bit older, how we can start to get our tax down, get our retirement planning in play, and everything that sits in between. Hope you enjoy the show. See you in there. Hey there, guys. Welcome to the Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And of course, as always, my offsider, Mr. Mitchell Renshaw. That is me. And today, Mr. Baxter, I have a ripping topic for us to chat about. Now, this is one that probably is going to help a lot of people out there. If you're struggling for advice, young, you're in your 20s and your 30s, this podcast is for you. However, absolutely. So, investing advice for people in their 20s and 30s. Well, not just investing advice, I think it's an overall financial. So, mm. we're going to go into wealth building, investing, insurance, super. All of the above. All the good stuff. Okay, well, where do you start? I guess getting started would be a great place to start. And I think for so many people, this whole notion of investing, finances, it's in the too hard basket. And, and when you, we're younger, uh, we'll get around to that someday. But unfortunately, that day doesn't always come around until we sort of move along the spectrum. Uh, and we see this all the time. People in the sort of the, the 25 to about 40 is where that real growth starts, where they've had a look and seen what life looks like for mum and dad, and they've gone, no thanks. Versus people that get a bit older, maybe in their 50s and 60s, and they look at it and go, oh, geez, yeah, that's a real big problem. So it's certainly something to handle earlier on in the piece. So where do you start? And I think you know, the crucial thing for most people these days, as it was for me in my time, as it is for you right now, um, is really exciting. It's called budgeting. Oh, yeah. That's probably a word not too many people have heard of in the recent years. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because spend less than you earn uh, is sage advice. It's great advice. And it's really the only way this whole area of investing in finance can start because you have to have some firepower. You have to have some money to work with. Um, Is it easier said than done? No, not really. You just set up a savings account and put money in it straight away. Um, But there's so much social pressure these days on younger people. Um, You know, the deck is almost stacked against you being able to get yourself ahead financially. Absolutely. And look, just from a personal experience, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s, so I'm in the thick of this. Mm. And I know a lot of my friends make that mistake of just spending their paycheck every week, living paycheck to paycheck, almost having that balance at nearly zero every Friday. Mm. By the time they get paid again, it's the same result. So how do you get out of that cycle? I know we've spoken before about the whole Gary V notion, I mean, spending less than you earn, it's really quite simple. Mm. How do you break that cycle? I think it comes down to you've got to want to change it. It's like anything. You're not just going to change what you do because you've heard two people talking on a podcast, but listen to the subcontext of what we're talking about. There's a reason I'm a multimillionaire, and there's a reason why you will be too very shortly with what we're doing. And, and, and it's because we've taken action rather than just words on this. So there's experience behind this. Saving is critical. And the easier you can make it on yourself to do, uh, the better. So what I would always suggest people do, if you've got a wages account where your money goes into, is have a separate account, which is your savings account, and the second your paycheck hits that account, whatever you've elected is the number that you're going to try and save, whether it's 10% of what you earn, which for some people will be a stretch, 20%, you're pretty frugal, you're pretty smart, we pay you well, but you're very clever <laughs> on how you, smart, how you spend your money. So it may be a higher percentage of that too. But the reality is, as soon as that money's gone and not in your current account that you have access to, then you're not gonna to touch it. And, and that's such a basic step, but it's so fundamental. If I look back, uh, when I was maybe 13, 14, 15, I had part-time jobs after school and things like that, and that's something else, you know, 
you have to have another source of income. You can't just have your job. You've got to have something else going, whether it's something on the side trading, which is our game, or whether it's other things that we'll get into here that we'll explore. But getting that money parked straight away in your savings account. I think when I was 14, I had six grand sterling saved up, ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, because I had my sideline, I had a part-time job, and I saved and saved and saved because my parents really drilled me to do that. And then let me get into the property market at a relatively early age. Again, these are things we'll talk about, I'm sure. But you've got to get started with that savings uh, facility. And, and, and having a separate account for it is, is hugely important. Get it to the side so you can't touch it. You can't even see it. Forget it's there until it builds up and then start using it for investments would be step one. And just a question with that. I mean, if you think about the average, say, 20 to 23-year-old, their income's pretty variable. I mean, they're probably most likely working casual. You know, their income's not the same week to week, probably not full time, right? So is it a matter of setting an exact number? So you say 10% of my wage, or is it also being a bit more arbitrary and saying, okay, if I earn $1,000 this month, I'm gonna to elect to put say 350 or 500. I think sometimes when you give yourself a choice of doing something, oh, I should do it next month, I've worked hard, I should reward myself. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tough, you know that, in terms of mentally and, and, and how I set my goals. but. I think having it as a percentage is fixed. You don't have to think about it. Do your sums, work out what you can do, and then get that parked across there. The challenge, especially for people that are younger, is you probably want to have a social life. And for a lot of people, you know, if you're down in Sydney, you have a night out, and okay, the lockout laws will change, but you're going to have a night at the establishment or wherever it might be that you're planning on going. All of a sudden, you bust out, you know, two, three, four hundred bucks on a night out. You know, Uber home afterwards. Uh, maybe bite to eat, and, and and that's any prospect of saving gone, all for the sake of being able to get a hangover the next day. And, and don't get me wrong, we've both been there. Absolutely, uh, trying to go there too often these days. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's a relative life. You've got to have some color too. But mm. unfortunately, that color can sometimes come at the expense of, of getting yourself up for the long term. You know, this is all about having a horizon mindset so that you can be retired by your forty. It's possible to do. Everyone should be in a position to do that, and people can. And it sounds like a ridiculous notion to say just right now. But it won't happen by accident. You've got to have a game plan in play to make that a reality. And it starts with budget and it starts with saving. Okay, so let's say, you know, the 20-year-old, the person in their 20s has some decent amount of savings. Mm -hmm. The next step we know is investing, of mm -hmm. course. Getting your money work hard for you because having it in the bank is gonna do realistically nothing. Mm -hmm. So when you suggest that, you know, someone in their 20s to invest, mm -hmm. and how much risk? I mean, they haven't, probably haven't got many kids, they probably haven't got a mortgage. Are they willing to take more risk or less mm -hmm. risk? Look, I think you know when we're younger, uh, you know, our attitude to risk should be significantly more aggressive, and it's kind of back to front because when we're younger, we don't necessarily even know. We probably think we know a lot. We don't necessarily know a lot about investing. It's all new to us, and so starting to trade aggressive or investing in invest uh, aggressive asset classes when you don't actually know what you're doing is another form of risk over the top. And you only kind of learn those lessons if you go through a structured program, the kind of things that we offer, or, or, or get some experience in life. Um, but I do think our attitude to risk is, is typically much more aggressive when we're younger. I mean, you think about it, you know, I remember riding a trail bike with no helmet on, just <laughs> crazy stuff that you would do because you have no fear when you're younger. But when it comes to money, it's not just the, the, the risk background. If something goes wrong, you've got your whole lifetime ahead of you to be able to recover from it. So in your 20s, or late teens, why wait till you're 20? You know, get in your teens, get started, and early 20s, go hard. But be very selective on what you do. Investigate it and learn. And, 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 and you know, one of the things for me that probably opened up you know, the possibility of how this whole game of money came about, I read a book by Rob Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I had no idea about a lot of the stuff that was really going on, about trying to get into a company structure to get your tax man, for example. Sure. And the different things along that, which is so 
obvious, but it's only obvious if you know. And the irony is, and I just was working with Robert, we just did a tour a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, this is one of my first mentors in a book I read when I was a kid that really got me set up and raised stage high fiving you know, and, and having a lot of time. So, you know, investigate what it is you're going to do. Have something that's going to engage you that you're interested in. Uh, and that's something else. If you've got something that you enjoy doing, then you might have an interest in the stock market. You know, clearly it's pretty volatile right now, which means it's brilliant as an opportunity. People like George Soros, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, and, and the likes have made tens of billions of dollars in these market conditions that we're seeing right now. And so they are opportunities. You just know how to take them. So maybe getting an account open, a broking account, no point holding cash at half a percent, get it into a broking account and maybe get some exchange traded funds, something we've covered in this podcast previously, to get the wheels turning so you've got some exposure to an asset that's got upside for you, for sure. Great place to start, that's one place. Um, other places might be you know, more direct investing, maybe using CFDs, which are, are leveraged instruments, so you can understand what you're doing with them. Again, we can help with that sort of stuff. But at least you're involved with something that's growing and working that deposit up to get into the property market, which I'm sure is something that's gonna click over. The last thing, you know, you, get, you come out of uni, you get a decent job, you start getting paid, you think I need a different apartment, I need better clothes, I need a flasher car. Really those things don't add up to a hill of beans. And I've done all of those things. You know, I remember when I was younger and stupid, I bought an Aston Martin, again, <laughs> things you do when you've got a pile of money and don't know what to do with it. You know, you have your farm over again, it's great fun, but they're not necessarily gonna get you where you want. And so, you know, just sacrificing a little bit in the short term to see the bigger picture of where this can take you is key. And that's very hard in today's environment. Afterpay, for example, you know, spreading, buying a piece of clothing over four payments, it's encouraging people to spend money they don't necessarily have, which is not so good. So budget, get started in some form of investing. It doesn't matter if it's more aggressive. If it goes wrong and lose a thousand bucks, you can have plenty of time to make that back. But if you learn the foundations, then when you're managing a hundred thousand or a million dollars down the track, um, those processes and that muscle memory of what you learned in your 20s is something that will stick through. So more aggressive, higher risk stuff, smaller amounts of capital to work with means that you might need to use some leverage to help get a more meaningful return. In which case, if you're using leverage, understand. You know, when I say leverage, that's where you maybe you've got $1,000 in your account, but you might be able to trade it and it's two or $3,000 sure. by gearing up. Do you want to know what you're doing with that? And, and, and building that pattern of growth in your savings over a period of time, you know, you know, say five, six years, you can amazed what you can do once you start, but until you start, it doesn't happen. Absolutely, and I think there's there's many good messages in there. Mm. And being in the thick of it in my 20s, I, I understand this firsthand. Mm. I'm a little bit lucky that I've been mentored by you from mm. you know since I was almost 19, mm. but some of my friends are on the opposite side of the ledger and they really struggled. And if only they had this advice, they'd be so much better off. Mm. Let's dial this forward now. Let's go, let's fast forward another 10 years and let's go into our 30s. Whole different kettle of fish, different needs, different wants, different situation. Mm. We're almost talking probably first home, maybe mm. meeting a long-term partner, kids maybe in your late 30s, early 30s. Mm. What do you suggest? That's interesting, wasn't it? The game plan sort of shifts on a number of uh, levels. And I'm going to say we grow up, but we're males, so we're never going to grow up or resign <laughs> to that. Uh, but the reality is, as, as we start to get older, uh, that what we should be doing uh, versus what we are doing can shift. And you're quite right. You should be in the property market. I think I was 24 uh, when I bought my first property in London. Uh, that was when I bought my first London-based property. Um, and, and I know we've had a conversation where you're looking to do it earlier, but by the time you're 30, you should have accumulated a deposit and, and have the desire to go through. And the big the big concern we're seeing is there's a generation of people that are likely to be renters for all of their life because they've, they've never got started. So in your 30s, buying a house, 
or a property of some sort. Sure. Is it going to be your perfect property? No, and it's not supposed to be. But it's a way of getting that deposit geared up into a real asset, uh, one that could be income producing if it's a rental property, or it could be somewhere to live, saving you the dead money of rent. Simple as that. Um, is that property likely to be where you want to live? Probably not. And in fact, it probably shouldn't be where you want to live either for two reasons. Number one, affordability, but perhaps more importantly, is keeping that fuel of a goal to say, look, this is functional. It's where we're living right now. We can afford it. We're not under financial stress. And the big thing right now with interest rates being so low, people are gearing up past what they should be able to, uh, you know, what they should be borrowing. And when rates do ratchet back up, it'll be very painful. So you've got a house or apartment or whatever it may be, somewhere, it's not necessarily where you want to live, but you're in the game. And as that appreciates in value over time, which you would hope it would, that's going to let you have a bigger deposit to, to move in over time and expansion for children or a desire to have that goal of living in the suburb that you want to live. You've got to have goals in mind to direct you forward. So getting a house, very important. The other big one is getting your super sorted out. Absolutely. Um, you know, you get to 30, you know, oh, I'm going to retire in a thousand years time. And unfortunately, <laughs> most people are going to have to work for a thousand years to be able to retire because they haven't taken the action early on to get the job done. I think trying to get into self-managed super as quickly as possible has to be a goal for people. And this whole area of super, look, it's not fun. Let's be brutally honest about that. That's why we've got experts in our financial planning business that do that for people. It's done for you. There's nothing to worry about in there. Um, but getting into that starts to give you some control. It also gives you the ability to be reducing your overall tax rate or deferring your tax by taking some of your income and topping up what you put into super. So at the moment, the mandatory amount is about 10% into super. You can put up to $25,000 per year tax-free into your super, and that should be everyone's goal is to try and tap out as much of that as is possible. And that can be quite hard if you're trying to service a mortgage and that. But if you get boom times and you get overtime or a bonus, flick it into something like that to get A, your tax down, and B, more importantly, building that longer-term asset up. What sort of dollars do you need for self-managed super? And, and look, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? And there are people out there that say, you know, there's no limit, and, and others say get started with, you know, you know 20, 30 grand. The reality within our financial planning framework, uh, I'd suggest that you know, two to 250,000 is the minimum you probably want for self-managed super. If you went to a property event and they're trying to spruik you into buying an investment property, they'd say, look, get started with 70 grand in super, it's okay because we want that as the deposit. That's not right because there are some costs associated with self-managed super uh, and so on, but we've actually got products that bring that cost right down for people, so sure. it's pretty affordable. Um, so property, getting your retirement plan underway, uh, you know, if you're meeting your life partner, there's a chance that you're pooling assets, for example. Sure. You've got two incomes to go in and help facilitate that, being married. But then, of course, come the kids, potentially. If you, if you didn't subscribe to Netflix and you find something else to do anything, then along come the kids. Talk about expense time, right? Mm, yeah, well, four of them, so I can tell you all about that. Wow, I remember you just told me your electricity bill last month was something like, what, 2000 Yeah, right? 2350 I'm going to get that frame and put up in your office. It should be. Uh, I'd love to look at your bills all day. Overachiever. <laughs> um, so... What, what would be the game plan? Let's say you're mid-30s, let's say you have a principal place of residence, mm. you know, you're with your partner, you're pulling assets, you're pulling income, and you're looking to have kids. How do you set yourself up so that when you do have kids, you're not under financial stress? Mm. That's a huge one too, isn't it? And this thing comes down to debt. Now, I have a massive aversion to debt, and that's something I inherited from my parents. You know, we talked earlier on about belief systems that we get from our parents, and my dad always said to me, you know, don't have any debt, and up until this point in time, I don't have any debt. I'm just, you know, and, and I'm very, very comfortable with that. But there is an opportunity cost for that too, because you know if you've got a, a, a principal place of residence, and let's say you've had it for you know, a few years, and there's some equity that's built up in it, that potentially is something that you can start to translate. You know, your home is very important. 
you have to have somewhere to live, but it's not an asset because it's not income producing. Now, for most people, they've got most of their money tied up in their principal place of residence, their family home or house. Um, and sure, it's tax-free, there's no capital gains tax on it, but at the same time, there's no income flow. And really, an asset is something that should be generating an income flow. So being able to leverage off that and, and get a second property uh, is quite important. Now, you, and this isn't a conversation for this forum on this podcast, but I don't like the idea of cross-collateralizing and, and using this as security for an investment because it starts to spike your risk out. But some people are more comfortable with it. But when you start to assess where the tax benefits can sit in having an investment property, getting your tax down is a key part of the game too. Super, assets, budget, saving, tax is a huge one. And, and having the ability to have good and bad debt, good debt being tax deductible debt, bad debt being stuff that you've just got a pocket sweep. Um, getting that good debt built up and getting tax deductions on it is very, very important. And that's the sort of work we do. In the old days, that would be in things like a margin loan. Uh, it may be in terms of a line of credit, uh, which is an investment line of credit. Uh, it may be in terms of you've got an investment property. And if I look at what we do within our team, I mean, yeah, I'm sure we have a team of people that work here, but as you know, with the way that we've worked together, um, this is all about helping our people in our family, our immediate family in this business um, to really get ahead. And if I take one of our team, she's been with me for um, 12 years, she's picked up a second property, got the structure under control perfectly, taxes down, well and truly sorted out. They've moved now because she's transitioning from her early 30s, she won't thank me for saying that, <laughs> towards her mid 30s. Uh, I think she's got two gray hairs, whether that's because of oh, working no. with me, I don't know after all this time. Um, but what they've just done is moved into a, a more desirable area that they want for their children. So this is a perfect proxy for what we're talking about here. You start here, get the ball rolling, build up your asset and equity base, and then you start to get choices. They've kept the property in the area they don't want to live in with their kids as an investment property. And it's a brilliant area for that. Lots of younger people happy to pay rent, but they've leveraged off that into their ability to live in the suburb they want to live in, better schools for the kids. So that's the sort of pathway copybook that I'd endorse for people. Sure, but it starts by getting the basics under control. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people that we may, may have met in the past get a little bit frightened when they think financial planning. It's not just taxes and dollars. We really specialize in working on their objectives and their family values, because as we all know, money's going to flow on from that area. Would I be right in saying that? 100%. You know, and, and it doesn't sound exciting, and that's why it's good to outsource it. The process itself isn't supposed to be exciting. The proceeds from it are. <laughs> and when you get it under control and you realize, you know, with a decent budget control system, uh, with income coming in potentially from a second property, having good tax deductible um, debt, uh, and, and then the money that that debt is servicing is actually in an investment asset that's growing, all of a sudden, um, that pressure in the 30s typically, so you've got a house or a mortgage, you put in as much as you can into your super, but then you've got the kids and they're running costs there. How do you offset that? And this is why it's so important to get not one facet of this, but all of this is a, is a, a, is a circle. You know, the whole thing, it frames out perfectly. And financial security, it's not you're not almost secure. You either are or you're not. It's binary. It's really, really simple. And as you start to implement all of these little things, they're only small little adjustments along the way through, but the impact on them down the track is profound. Now, for example, you've over-contributed toward your super. You've done some salary sacrifice if you're in a position to do that. And let's say you're able to get another five or seven grand a year spotted away in your super that's growing nicely because you've got it in a self-managed environment where you've got it in assets that mean something to you. The compound effect on that by the time it's retirement time is enormous because you've had time working for you and you only get that when you start. 
So this isn't an overwhelming subject. It's one of those things you just got to bite the bullet, get started small, learn how you get these small wins along the way, and that's how you win the game of money. Small wins along the way. It's not one big move. It's, it's just doing a sequence of things at the right time in the right place. So 30s, house. Super, got family, so your running expenses are likely to go up. Maybe your partner has stopped working to have kids. If we take daycare as an example, huge running cost if your partner goes back to work. So that's a, a, a reasonable question. And we can pose this in for this now. If you're in your 30s and you're starting to have a family, or if you're in your 40s and having a family, or in your 20s and having a family, and one of you is giving up work to look after your kids, and if you look at it on a dollar-by-dollar -dollar basis, it's probably cheaper to be at home and look after the kids yourself than pay somebody else to bring your kids up. Sure. But while you're at home around that, and I'll be very very careful how I word this, because I know how busy my wife is with four under five, so it is very easy to say, oh, you just run a business from home. But there are opportunities to do certain things from home where you can generate an income as well. And that's good for the household, but for a partner that's given up a career to perhaps be uh, primary care for the kids, it starts to give you your independence and identity as having your own money as opposed to an allowance that's provided to you by somebody else. And psychologically, that's a huge win in the family. That's how you see really happy relationships versus a resentful relationship. Well, and I think there's, there's so many good messages in that and a lot of good advice for those who are in their 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. I think when we dial it back, the main message is to just get started. Bite the bullet. It, it's harder to do something and it's easy to do nothing. 100%. Amy, look, we are coming to the end of the broadcast. I do appreciate all of your input. Is there any other final call to action messages you want to give out there to those people who are young in their 20s and 30s? Mm -hmm. the age, age is just a number. You know, and, and if you get the job done, you know, it is always going to be a number. Being retired at 40 is not out of the question. Being retired at 30 is not out of the question. If you're committed enough to getting that job done, the problem is that's such an enormous goal for most people, you've got to chunk it down to something smaller to start with. So you're quite right getting it started. We specialize in holding your hand and walking through this. Why? Quite frankly, because we've done it for ourselves and we've done it for thousands and thousands of other people. So being able to walk you through this, this pathway, but at the same time, it's not a one-size-fits-all tailoring it moving along the lines. And look, this whole thing about budget doesn't have to be boring. Oh, you know, boring budget, why do I want to do that? If you want to go out and spend a couple hundred bucks on a Friday night, that's not a problem, just accommodate it in the budget and it's sure. there. So there's no problem with that sort of thing because you have to live your life too. You've got to have some fun and color. But as you and I both know, sometimes some of the things that we spend our money on for color, you know, they're distant memory, they don't mean anything and sure. you're still paying them off weeks or months later. So, you know, we hold people's hand and walk them through this very, very simple way. You've got to work pretty hard to get it wrong. We're kind of like the Marley spoon of investing, <laughs> you know, you've got to follow instructions, follow the path to get the outcome and make it fun because the rewards that come back at the end of the day, whether that's you in your 20s and, and having that, that feel good factor of, in your case, you know, when you're 21, you're going to have your first property. I think my wife was 20 when she bought hers. I was a laggard at 24, albeit it was in London, so it was a little bit more expensive. But you know, the reality is the success and the happiness that that engenders, that it's a huge milestone that you've accomplished getting your first property, offsets probably one of the best nights out of your life every week for the next five years. <laughs> it, it, it's just an incredible feeling because you know you're making progress and it's visible. So getting started is key. We can reach out, contact us, contact us through our social media outlets, contact us directly at our office, or our website, whatever it may be, so that we can help you on this journey. Because you try and do it on your own, as you all know, it's pretty hard. But when you've got people around you that'll guide you through that, and understand you know, the sacrifices or the dilemmas that you face, when, well, what do I do here? Because they've had to do the same thing. You know you're leveraging off experience, and that's where you really start to grow. Hey, man, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for that. And the easy as that, reach out and one of our team will help you.
for sure. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Mitch. Good chatting. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed the show on Money and Investing with me, Andrew Baxter. Make sure you give us a review or a rating so we can get the, uh, the message out there, and we'll look forward to chatting soon.